Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Man, I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, every once in a while as a husband, I, I make a mistake. And uh, one of those mistakes uh, happened uh, not far from here. Matter of fact, just down the road, about 50 miles. It was in 2013. Uh, we were about to leave uh, the O'Fallon area and move down to Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And my wife had just uh, ran her uh, first half marathon. And, and so um, it was a wonderful thing. We went up there as a family and we supported her. And then we moved down to Florida. And, uh, you know, while she was up here, she had someone who ran with her. And while she was down there, she was struggling finding a running partner where their schedules worked out together and uh, the time would work out. And so um, I saw that. And as a good husband, I, I wanted to do something about it. And so I told her, I said, honey, I said, if you can't find somebody to run a half marathon with you, I will. Now, now, what you don't understand is, I don't know if you can figure this out, but God did not make me aerodynamically designed to run a lot of mileage. And, and in the military, I was required to run a mile and a half for a PT test twice a year. So what that means was about every year I would run three miles. And that's it. And so when I asked, I told my wife that I would run a... 13 point mile race with you I did not mean that I thought she would have mercy on me and she would tell me you know thank you the thought is what counts but three days later she came to me and she says I can't find anybody we're gonna have to run this together and then she gave me an app that said from the couch to a half marathon and and we got to go run this afternoon well, we started running together. I, I kept my word. And that December, we ran a half marathon. And I remember thinking this as I crossed the finish line, that I had just ran my first and my last <laughs> half marathon. I was praising Jesus. I was thanking him that I was still alive, that my feet were still on, that everything was there. And then about three months later, one of our favorite friend couples loved everything they'd seen us do on Facebook. They saw us doing our running, our practices, and then we got to the race. They saw the videos that we posted, and they said, we want to do a half marathon with you two. And, and I did it again. And I told my wife, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, if they actually show up for the race, we'll run another half marathon. All of a sudden, they started sharing with us all of the training that they were doing. And about two months out from the race, I realized this was going to happen again. That I was going to run another half marathon. And here's what happened. It was in Savannah, Georgia. The gun went off, we took off, and, and they're playing this music, it's incredible, and you, your emotions take over, and I'm running, and then about a quarter mile later, I can't even hear the music anymore. 
And all of a sudden, it becomes a struggle for me to run. And I remember as I hit the, it was 3.2 miles, and there was this business that had all their employees out there with signs encouraging us. And one of the signs said this. It said, if you're still struggling, it means that you haven't quit. 3.2 miles in of a 13.1 mile race, I was ready to quit. But when I saw that sign, I knew I couldn't. You know, today it's not much different as we think about the church. And that if, if, you, if you pull up any kind of articles about the church, you will hear people say that we are facing the decline or the death of the church. But I want to clarify, it's not the true Christian church that's declining. It's the cultural Christian church that's declining. You know, when we think about the church, uh, if you look at it, membership is down. If you look at it, they'll tell you that professions of faith are down. That because of that, baptisms are down. Giving is down. And ultimately, the pews tell us that the attendance is down. But folks, I'm here to tell you that it's not true Christianity that's dying. It's cultural Christianity. I don't know if you recall, but in June of 2015, our legislation passed a thing called the Defense of Marriage Act. And when that happened, basically they legalized something that we as a church would stand against until Jesus comes back. And a wise friend of mine that's a pastor of a church down in Houston, he made this uh, observation. He says that the days of a country club church are gone. You know, it used to be popular to be a part of a church. Matter of fact, you would ask somebody, hey, where do you go to church? And they would brag, I go to First Baptist, and they'd fill in the blank. Probably not long ago that people would ask, and, and somebody would say, I go to Temple Baptist Church, or I go to Central City, or I go, you fill in the blank. But those days have changed. And what we're looking at is not just the end of country club Christianity, but we are looking at a country that is filled with moral uncertainty. Now, when I talk about this, you know, think about this. Even here in the church, it's not just in our country, it's in our church. We, we want to have levity in our lives, but yet we never ever experience true joy. We have a constant searching for fun, and yet we never ever acquire real happiness. We're looking for lots of laughter as the LOL memes go out there across the social media. But the reality is this, that our laughter is empty and hollow. In the church, we're zealous for religious freedom, and yet we're weak in worshiping God. We have everything here in America, but yet we possess nothing. We seek knowledge, and at the same time, we lack understanding. And while we have a constant struggle to, to move upward, we continually find out that we're sinking lower spiritually. 9-11 proved that our country needs a great crisis to jolt us out of our apathy. But the problem is that those great crises only last for a few months. Churches were filled after the towers were brought down, but six months later they weren't filled anymore. You know, so before the world... Before the United States, before Illinois, and I tell you, before Centralia is going to be moved, it has to happen 
here in the church. We need to see the, founda the foundations of sin in our lives broken up. You know, I think about, as I was at the um, SBC annual meeting, Tony, thank you, you took me back to the worship that we experienced there. And while I was there, the Lord broke my heart in this. Because I realized that I was not leading our church to put the gospel above all. Now, don't get me wrong, the gospel was always important. But what, when I looked at what we were doing, I realized that it wasn't most important. And so, as, as the Lord broke my heart and as he started uh, speaking to me, this was not the sermon that was prepared. Immediately, by Tuesday, I knew that this is what I needed to bring back to our church. And so, here is what I recognized. That there are three commitments that we need to make as a church if we are going to see the gospel above all in Centralia. And the first commitment was to commit to prioritize the gospel above everything. You know, the gospel should mo motivate everything that we do. Think about last week. Think about Vacation Bible School 2019 in the wild. When you walked around and you saw all of the creatures, you saw the water fountains, you saw the alligators and crocodiles and frogs all over the place. We saw 65 different kids attend our VBS school. We saw 47 different volunteers give their blood, sweat, and tears for those children. On Sunday, last Sunday, we had 156 people in attendance. Out of that 156, 22 of them were visitors. They represented 11 different families, and nine of those had never been to Temple Baptist Church before. And in heaven, they rejoiced because seven precious souls were one for the Lord. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read to you three verses, and it's verse 3, 4, and 5. And Paul says this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel, and it should motivate everything that we do. You see, in the church, we need an urgency for the gospel. In the church, we need to prioritize the gospel above everything. Why is that? Well, there's four things. Here's what the gospel gives us. The gospel gives us the ultimate possession, fullness in God. One day, this mortal body we will put off, and we will put on an immortal body, and we will understand what the fullness of God is like. One day, we will ex experience why the gospel was the ultimate act of love. Why Jesus put, willingly stretched his arms for you and for me, for our sins. Today, while we live, we can experience the ultimate victory over sin because of the gospel. And I'm here to tell you that the gospel is the ultimate assurance. One day, one day, Jesus is coming back. And he is going to come back literally. He's going to come back visually. He's going to come back bodily. And he's going to set up a kingdom on this earth. That is why everything that we read is here in these scriptures. 
So if we are going to commit to prioritize the, the gospel above everything, let me share with you just three very quick items that we should be thinking about. And the first one is this, that we need to prioritize the gospel above our culture. You know, uh, to, unfortunately, many of us experience what I want to call the Popeye syndrome when it comes to culture. And the Popeye syndrome is this, I am what I am and that's all I am. That's what Popeye would tell, you know, you, you, I, it's just who I am. And we as Christians, too often, we fall into this. And we tell people, I am what I am, and that's all. You know, I can't help it. This was my upbringing. This is what, this is all I know. This is all I understand. And while we embrace this, what we are embracing is what I call a fatalistic view. That like there is no other choice. When I was over in Afghanistan and serving in, and I, I was embedded into the Afghan National Army and I got to talk to these men, every time we would say something we would talk about tomorrow, they would finish the conversation with inshallah, which means God willing. Now, I come back to America and I'm telling you that it's not much different. That many times, instead of going out and proclaiming the gospel and trying to see all of our family, all of our friends, all of our relatives, so that they're in heaven with us, we develop that God-willing attitude. But my friends, this is what the Bible says. It says that when we are in Christ, we have become a new creation. We're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And the only things that aren't new are the ones that we hold on to. The ones that we didn't leave at the foot of the cross. And one of those things so many times is our culture. You know, the reality is this. That transformation is only going to take place through relationships. You know, even in a church our size, there are people who don't know each other. Who, who we pass each other every Sunday, and yet we don't know each other's name, we don't know where we live, and we've never built a relationship. And I learned this long ago that relationships happen at the dinner table. I remember I had a young lady working for me, um, and she was a phenomenal worker. Matter of fact, I used to say if I had a hundred of her, I, there's nothing that we could not accomplish. And one day she came into my office and she was in tears. I said, what's the matter? And she says, well, you know, I just got back from, she was off for 10 days. And she goes, nobody did the work. They didn't pick up the slack. I come back and I've got a stack of work like this. She goes, every time they go on vacation, I always do their work for them. And I was expecting that when I came back. And so I asked her, I said, and, and she worked with four other people. I said, which of those four do you go out with dinner on a regular basis? And I remember this, her words were, I wouldn't go out with any of those. And I said, that's why they left the work for you. You see, she didn't have a relationship any, with anyone. And folks, don't, don't you think for a moment it's just at work. It's in the churches in America where we let our culture, we let our upbringing, we let the way that we are keep us from reaching and inviting someone into our home and sitting down at a table. Because all of a sudden, you find things out about them that you'll never find out in these pews. You'll never find out over a donut. But when they're in your house 
and you're having dinner with them, you'll find out many things. Not, so we don't need to just prioritize the gospel above our culture, but we also need to prioritize the gospel above our politics. Ooh. You know, they, they say that there's a couple of things you shouldn't talk about in a public forum, uh, race, religion, and politics. When I talked about culture, I just talked about race and religion. And now I'm going to do what every pastor shouldn't do, and I'm going to talk about politics. And, and when I say that, here's what I want you to understand. I, I came across a quote by C.S. Lewis, and Philip Yancey shared this, and, and here's what it said. Um, the premise of it is this, that politics often trades grace for power. You know, we have to be careful. We have to be careful in the church because many times what we do, and, and folks, it's, if you go back in church history, the church was used to control the people. That ought not be. That shouldn't be the answer. And when that's happening, I promise you that that church wasn't putting the gospel above everything. Now, when I talk about the fact that we should put the gospel above our politics, I'm here to share with you that Jesus was able to do this. You know why? Because I know that as an ambassador of Christ, it's his desire that we are to be effective without being offensive. Now, that's easy to say, but let me give you an example. Jesus had two different disciples. One was named Simon the Zealot. Do you know what that means? He was zealous for things in the Jewish community. And then he had this other guy as part of the 12 disciples. His name was Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector. He stood for everything against what Simon the Zealot stood for. And yet these two men somehow found a way to unify around Christ. Folks, our country gets divided on Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, it ought not be. I'm not here to tell you that you should change your politics. I'm not telling you that you should um, step down. Look, I gave 28 years of my life to fight for our country, for the freedoms that we have. But I'm here to tell you that here in the church, the gospel should be above that. Because our goal is changed hearts. And unfortunately, in the church, what we look for is we look for external behavior modifications. And I'm here to share that that will never, ever result in long-lasting change. It'll come up short each time. So not only do we need to have the gospel above our culture, the gospel above our politics, but we need to put the gospel above our preferences. You know, two things that we need to think about is an open versus a closed hand. You see, closed hand doc are, are the things that are doctrinal. These are the things that will, if you don't believe these, you will not one day have your name written in the book of life. Things that, that are closed in this hand that I will not let go of is that this Bible is inspired by God himself. Things that I won't let go of is the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he was born of a virgin. That he lived a perfect life. That he died on the cross and three days later he rose from the grave. That is never going to leave these hands. But folks, there's too many times in the church where we take, and, and, we, and it's not just the doctrine issues that we have, but it becomes things that, that aren't that important that we fight over. 
I recall growing, I was 10 years old. I was in a church in Germany. My dad was in the army. He was stationed in Germany. And we as a family were there with him. We were in a church. And um, like a 4th of July week, we, the church would go to this one park and, and celebrate. And I remember this one year that as we're there in the park celebrating, there was another church of like faith on the other side of the park. And as a kid, I wanted to go and introduce and, t- and meet some others. And I was told I couldn't go over there. They don't fellowship with us and we don't fellowship with them. It wasn't because we didn't both believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It wasn't that we didn't believe that Jesus had lived a perfect life. It wasn't that we didn't believe that Jesus died on the cross or rose again three days later. It was an open-handed issue of whether or not women should wear pants. That's why two churches wouldn't fellowship. That's what a 10-year-old boy learned from adults. And and church, I'm here to tell you that we need to understand that the gospel is more important than that. Paul said this when he was questioned about, hey, what should we do about these people who are teaching things that we don't teach? And he said, do they teach that Jesus is the Son of God? Do they teach that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross and he rose again? If they do, we're not going to worry about that. If they don't, call me. I'll go get them. Church, we've got to give up our preferences for the gospel. We've got to be willing. Because if we're not, we won't do the next commitment. And that is, we need to commit to do whatever it takes to reach all people. You see, the church's main calling is making disciples. That's what we're here for as a church. But the reality is this, that Southern Baptist churches are only good at evangelizing their children. That's not me telling you this. This is our convention telling you that the Southern Baptist churches, what do we do best? We get our children saved. Now, praise Jesus. Folks, I will never, ever look down on that. But we don't need to stop there. And let me ask you this question. What would you be willing to do to help your grandchildren reach or be reached by Jesus Christ? What are we willing to do in our, in our church, Temple Baptist, to see our grandchildren be reached? I could tell you this, that when I think of my two grandsons as they crawl all over me, that I will do anything it takes to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior. There is nothing I won't do There is no place I won't go. And you know what? I don't believe that I'm the only granddad that feels that way. But here's the reality. These two little boys, they live 50 miles from here, and I don't get to see them every day. But every Sunday, somebody's grandchildren come to this church. And just like those two little boys, I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to go anywhere to see that they get saved. That's what Temple Baptist Church is all about. That's what putting the gospel above all means. We need to learn how to reach the nuns. And when I talk about the nuns, I'm talking about the none of the above. Because when a 
study was done in Britain. They asked, do you ever plan to go to a church? 70% said no. They have no intentions to ever go to church. Not at Easter, not at Christmas, not on Mother's Day, never. Now, let's think about it. Let me give you a word picture. Let's just say, next door here, they built a mosque. How many of us would go over there and visit the mosque and just see what it's all about? None of us. We're not, going to go, we're not going to go over there and look for Jesus or God. That's the way 70% of the British population looks at the church. Folks, America is not far behind Britain. We're not far from having a day where 70% of the population of our country has no intention to ever walk through the doors of a church. And when I hear that, I think about Acts 15 and verse 19. And it says this, that we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. How many people love going to a new event where there's a lot of people that you've never been? Like there's a couple of you here and the rest of us despise it. Folks, that's the way people think about our church. They don't know anyone here. They don't know what we do here. They don't know if there's going to be snakes and I'm going to hold them up and we're going to bite each other. And they don't know. And so the question is, what are we doing that's making it difficult for them? You see, that's why we have a first impressions team. Our goal is that the first time a guest opens up a door is when they walk into the bathroom. We want to make it easy for them. We want them, when they walk through those doors, no matter how they're dressed, to feel comfortable. We want them, no matter what they look like, what they smell like, what they, where they've been, or who they're with, we want them to feel comfortable. Not so that they feel comfortable, but so that their heart will remain soft and open to the gospel. See, that's what it means to put the gospel above all. That's what it means when we are supposed to make disciples. What are we willing to do? Where are we willing to go to make those disciples? And in church, I'm telling you that Jesus wants Temple Baptist Church to grow. It is not his desire that we remain the same number that we have each week. And he doesn't want us to grow because he likes to see pictures of our sanctuary filled. He wants us to grow because we are the vessel that he uses to reach our community. And so if we're the vessel that reaches our community, here's the third commitment that we need to make, and that is this, that we need to commit to sending every member. Uh-oh, now I'm meddling. We as a church need to embrace the gospel as the power. You see, we all have a story of why we can't. I'm not made to be a pastor. You know, God hasn't gifted me to teach Sunday school. The Lord hasn't given me enough patience and grace to teach pre-kindergarten. We all have reasons why we don't serve. But here's what I'm telling you, that it's the gospel that is the power. It's the gospel that when we take a step of faith and we say, even though I'm not called to teach the preschool, I'm going to do it. And it's the gospel that watches children come to know the Lord during vacation Bible school. 
You see, as Christians, our boast is in our shame. Our boast is in our weakness. Why? Because it's the gospel that completes it. It's not how good we are. It's not what we do. It's not how we dress. It's that one day we saw and recognized that Jesus paid the price for us, the gospel. And when we embrace that, everything changes. But what happens as Christians, we get far from Calvary, and then we start to boast in not the gospel, but we start boasting in what we've done. We start boasting in the size of our Bible. We start boasting in how many verses we have underlined or highlighted. We start boasting in how many classes we've taught. We start boasting in the fact that we have a perfect attendance rate. Friends, God alone knows how to humble us without humiliating us. I'm not good at that. God is brilliant. He knows how to humble us. And if you don't believe me, think about the verse that says that he hates pride, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, I came across a quote uh, this week by Bob Goff, and he said this, God uses the hardest parts of our lives to prepare us for the very best parts. What is he preparing us for? Well, he's preparing us for his strategy. And his strategy is very simple. He took 12 men, 12 men that you or I wouldn't have picked to change the world. But Jesus picked them. Not because of who they are, not because of what they could do, not because of what they could bring. He picked them because of the power of the gospel that was going to fill their lives. Mark 1.17 says this. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Newsflash, he didn't just mean that to his disciples. He used a word picture that they would understand. But God's design, God's strategy is that you and I would become fishers of men. We are the vessel that he's going to use. And every morning that you wake up, I can tell you what God expects of you. He only expects for you to do what you can do. Art Williams, uh, a great speaker, he said the, the most powerful nine words that he ever came across was that all you can do is all you can do. The problem is we are not doing all we can do. And when we start doing all we can do, we learn what it means to leverage our life for the gospel. You see, when I say leverage your life, I'm talking about leveraging your time, your talent, and your treasure. You know, as I think about this, I think about last week as Vacation Bible School was going on, and I think about Mary Ellen, how that she leveraged her time and spent hours each day with a group of preschool children and I remember sitting in the class in, in a meeting where she says you know what I this isn't what I'm good at but I'll do it and I remember earlier this week getting a message that her son Sawyer asked Jesus into his heart because see Sawyer was in that class with her three hours every day You know, as I think about VBS, I think about Miss Leona. Three hours every night, she sat in a room over here and she prayed for our children, for the workers, 
If you'd stop and you sit down, she'd share with you Bible verses that she was praying over each of them. You see, all you can do is all you can do. How do you leverage your life? You leverage your time, your talent, and your treasure. We see today Brother Tony and family leveraging their talent for Jesus. And folks, you may say, well, you know what? I don't have time, and, and I don't have talent. Well, that tells me that you got treasure. Invest it in the kingdom. Invest it. Because whether it's time, talent, treasure, when you invest your life, God blesses it. And that is God's desire. You see, if we are going to make the commitment to send every member, every member has to make the commitment to going. Very simple. Revival is nothing more than for us to experience a close relationship with Christ. And we need to be able to recognize and repent of our excuses. You know, I think about a, uh, in California, there was a gentleman who worked a mid-shift, and it was about midnight when he got off, and, and he lived about 60 miles away from his home, and he was driving home. And as happens many times in California, this earthquake hit. And as this earthquake hit, it was a, a little rougher than normal, and so he pulled off to the side of the road, and he's sitting there in the car, and he kind of rides that out. And then as that stopped, uh, the tremors quit. He pulled back onto the road and he started driving. And he noticed that the car that was about a half a mile in front of him, the lights just disappeared. And it worried him, so he pulled off to the side of the road again. And, and he left his headlights on and he walked up and, and he came to where a bridge once was. And that bridge was now gone and that car had gone into the ravine. And as he's thinking about how can he help that uh, vehicle, he looked and he noticed a headlight on its way. And so he started walking back to his car and he hit the flashers on his car. And as the vehicle's coming, he starts waving. He's standing on the side of the road and he's waving, trying to stop the guy driving the car. But the guy either doesn't see him or thinks that he's up to no good and, and he keeps going and he drives over that missing bridge. And his car disappears. That repeats itself, and he does the same thing. He tries to stop them. He does everything that he can think of, and then all of a sudden, he notices it's a bus this time. And as this bus is coming, he can't think of anything else to do, and so he jumps out into the middle of the road, and now he's waving his arms just like this. And he says, you know what? If, if it means that I'm going to get ran over, I've got to do something. I wonder... How many of us are just like that? We know the eternity that our friends and our relatives, our neighbors, our co-workers are going to experience. We know. And, and I believe that with the best of intentions, we are sitting there on the side of the road and we're trying, we're telling them, we give it to them as best we can. But I'm here to share with you that it's not until, see, if that bus is coming and I know that those two grandsons are on that bus, I'm getting out in the middle of the road. Church, are we going to get out into the middle of the road with the gospel? You see, it's the gospel that is the power. It's the gospel that does the work. You don't have to be gifted speaker. You don't have to be a beautiful, wonderful musician. You don't have to have anything in your life going right. 
God will use you because he uses the gospel. Let me share this last thing with you, and that's this. You may be here today, and, and I haven't been speaking to you. I've been, I've been speaking to the church. I've been speaking to those who have asked Jesus Christ in their heart. And I want to share something with you if you're not in that group. And that's this, that Jesus didn't just die for you. You know, I've mentioned this a couple of times. Let me tell you, Jesus died instead of you. You see, there's only two ways to get to heaven. I probably just woke up a couple of you. There's only two ways to get to heaven. The first way is this, to live a perfect life. From the time that you were born until the time that you die, if you commit no sins, you will be taken into heaven. But I don't know about you, but I wasn't very old before I realized that I, I no longer qualified. And so the other way is this. God sent his only begotten son down to earth. He lived a perfect life and he died for me and my sins. And he died for you and for your sins. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.